And okay, if you got your Bible with you today, turn to Daniel chapter one, and we're gonna continue in our series, Cancel Culture. And cancel culture is a phenomenon that is existing in our culture today to try to eliminate, intimidate, threaten, or remove voices that are standing for godliness. And here's the thing that my heart is for this series is that it will be twofold what God does in our hearts. is one, that he will give us a godly boldness to begin to stand for for what is, is true, for what is righteous, for what is good, for what is God. And, and we see it all throughout our culture that, 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 that there are, are, are people being minimized, intimidated, even eliminated because they offer up differing opinions or beliefs and in an increasing way, especially when a, an opinion or belief is presented that relates to biblical morality or family values. So my heart for us in this series is that we would, through greater dependency upon the Holy Spirit, that we would apprehend a greater boldness to take a stand for the light of Jesus Christ. And the other thing in this series that I believe God wants to do is, is identify in our lives the places or the ways in our, in our faith, in our home, in our marriages where the influence of the culture has begun to have a greater influence on our lives than the word of God. That we would recognize and that we would be willing to cancel the places that we've become more influenced by the culture around us than the kingdom within us. Because the Bible says it real clearly. You might have learned it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love the way the message kind of unlocks this for us even another step further. The message translation of the same verse, Romans 12, verse 2 says, do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and then you'll be changed from the inside out. So, So let's trust that God will Call, call us, draw us to greater levels of dependency on him so that we could be bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could be moved with compassion for people who are lost and hurting or dealing with confusion, but we can also have a conviction that Jesus still saves and restores and heals and redeems even the most lost and hurting and broken of situations and circumstances. And let's also trust that God will highlight or show to us any places where the culture around us has begun to influence us more than the kingdom within us. And there's a couple things that I wanna say every week, and if you've been tuned in for all three messages, you've heard, you've heard these things with repetition, but I believe they're important to say, and especially for those who maybe are joining us or tuning in for the first time today. And as we're talking about cancel culture, and again, it's kind of a play on words, but there really is this movement that actually you see all throughout the Bible to intimidate the people of God, to cause us to shrink back or hold back or be hindered from, from speaking the truth of God into a culture who really just needs Jesus. That's what this culture needs, that we need Jesus. Our city, our nation, our world needs the love and the forgiveness and the goodness and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. But there's a few things I wanna say as we talk about this, and one is that there are legitimate issues where accountability should be required. For example, racism or chauvinism, those are places where accountability should be required. But unfortunately, many of the efforts to silence, harass, or intimidate people have not stopped with accountability for legitimate wrongs. They have extended to to points of disagreement over politics or health decisions, family values, and again, especially concerning anything having to do with taking a stand for biblical morality, especially regarding gender and sexuality. So we used to cancel things like old magazine subscriptions or television shows that are no longer drawing enough viewers to be maintained, but now we see people attempting to cancel people attempting to punish people, attempting to destroy reputations, harm people financially, or shun them relationally. And I just wanna make a statement I believe it grieves the heart of God. 
Regardless of where you stand on the issues, it grieves the heart of God. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. James 1, 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, speaking to you, speaking to me, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Ephesians 4 says this in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Lastly, just one one of our four key scriptures for the series, Galatians 6 says, brothers and sisters, again, speaking to you, speaking to me, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And watch yourselves lest you also be tempted. And Jesus had no room in his heart for canceling others. You remember, people that the culture of his day actually said they should cancel. He actually caught, caught shade. He caught flack from, from engaging with them, from fellowshipping with them, from dining with them. He dined with sinners and tax collectors. He engaged with the Samaritan woman at the well, which was a double no-no because you weren't to engage with a woman and you weren't to engage with a Samaritan. And not only was she a woman and a Samaritan, but she was sinful and he engaged with her and he led her to the place where she could experience salvation and drink of a water that would cause her to never thirst again. Jesus had no room in his heart for canceling others. The only thing Jesus has ever canceled is your sin, the payment for your sin. And just as you and I once did, again, our world just desperately needs Jesus. And just as you and I still do, our world and the people in our world need the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the kindness and the forgiveness of Jesus, and we look around and we could become discouraged or overwhelmed by the, by the condition and the direction of our culture, but the good news is that the Bible is very clear that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. There is still hope for Lawrence, Kansas, hope for the United States of America, even as the culture is rebelling and rejecting God. If my people will, who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from our wicked ways, and begin to pray, God will hear from heaven, and he is still able and willing to come and to heal our land. Someone ought to say amen if you agree. All right, Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. And here's what we're gonna do today. It's gonna be a little different, but it's something that a few years ago I began to share with you that the Lord just began to challenge me to maybe take a little bit of time to read more of these Bible stories than maybe what I would have to read to draw out the scriptures and to make the points that are in my heart to make to you today, that there's maybe a generation of new believers, of people who didn't grow up in Sunday school, people who maybe have never read or heard the fullness of these stories. Maybe they know about them kind of at face value, but have never really made or taken the time to dig in and read these stories. So we're gonna read a good part of chapter one and I'll paraphrase a little bit of chapter two and then we're gonna read a big part of chapter three today. And before we dig into God's word, come on, I know we've already prayed a couple times, but this, his, his house should be a house of prayer, amen. Let's pray over our word today and over this time together today and over what God wants to do in our lives and our hearts today. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing, for what you're speaking uh, Lord, your goodness, your, your, your grace, your mercy towards us, Lord, even when we're not faithful, you're, Lord, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. It's a privilege, Lord, to be gathered as your people in your house and your presence and now to open up your word, which is filled with your promises. Would you come and speak to us, Lord? Every man, every woman, every young adult, 
Lord, every marriage, every family, you have a heart for them, God. You desire to speak to them, Lord. People who are hurting, people who are wounded, people who are, are, are in bondage, God. You desire today, God, to come and to heal. You desire to set free. You desire to restore, Lord. And Lord, we say, would you come and have your way, Lord? I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today would be a day of redemption. I pray that today would be a day of freedom, God. Maybe there have been people who have been, who have been looking, who have been asking, who have been trusting, who have been believing, who have been battling, who have been struggling for a long time, Lord. Let today be the day, Lord, where because of your word, because of your love, because of the power of the blood of Jesus, and because of the power of your heart for them, God, let this be the day of for freedom and forgiveness and, and redemption and restoration, Lord. New things, God. Dead things coming to life, Lord. New things, new, new creation, Lord beginning to spring forth, Lord, in people's hearts and minds and marriages and families, Lord. We ask you to do it today. We believe that you can, and we believe that you will. We receive it by faith today, even before you've done it, in Jesus' name. And come on, if you'll receive even just a little bit of that or grab a hold of just a little bit of that for you, yourself, your family, your marriage, come on, give a good amen to God today. All right, Daniel chapter one, we'll pick it up in verse three, and it says this. Then the king ordered Asphence, the, the chief of his staff, to bring the palace to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other nobles who had been brought to Babylon as captives. The people of Israel have been brought to Babylonian rule as, as slaves, as captives. And it, he says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. That's describing most of you today, I, I know. And he said, make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, that they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and they are suited to serve in the royal palace. And train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter in to royal service. Verse six, it says, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men who were chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, which you'll probably more likely recognize them by. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. And you know, I, I, I'm gonna try to refrain from pausing too many times as we read through the text. I wanna read through it and make my points, but I couldn't help but stop right there and just encourage you with something, and that's this, that the culture will try to rename what God has named. And the culture will try to put labels on you because of things you did or things you said. And I'm just telling you that, that you today need to understand that God is in the business also of renaming some things. That he could take something that you're facing today, something that you feel like you've been labeled with today, and he has a way of renaming things. Hananiah means, in, in the Hebrew, God is gracious, and he was renamed to Shadrach, which was uh, most of the, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were names given to, to false idols, and it says, and Mishael was renamed Meshach, and Mishael means one with character like God. Azariah means God is my helper. The culture will try to rename what God has named. And you know, recently I, I came across a website and it just spoke to me. I, I couldn't help but remember Genesis chapter five where the Bible says so clearly, male and female, God has created them and he blessed them. And the other day I came up, up on a website, I was even showing my family, there was a drop down menu for this ticket purchasing website that offered 60, I had to count them, 60 different options for gender. And I thought, wow, the culture is trying to rename something that God created and named and blessed. And I'm just telling you, 60 opportunities to select for gender is not progress, it's mass confusion. And it's deception. 
And we gotta love people who are dealing with confusion or deception. That's where we were before Christ. We gotta have compassion for people who maybe had some things perpetrated against them or maybe had some lies spoken over them or didn't have the situation or the stability of a family to help guide them or lead them into becoming the man of God or the woman of God and there was confusion that was introduced. We have to have compassion, but love does not require agreement. We could love people without agreeing with, with this lie that the enemy is introducing even into the lives of young children in elementary schools. We can take a stand. The culture will try to rename what God has named and what God has blessed. God also has a way of renaming people as well. Just think about it. He's, he renames you. He, calls you. he takes you from sinner to saved, from lost to found, from hurting to healed, from rejected to accepted, from lonely and isolated to adopted and made part of a family and not just any family, a royal family. And did you know, this is one of the most amazing promises of God and those who reject Christ or fail to come to him will never get to experience this. I think it's one of the most amazing and beautiful promises to anticipate that the Bible says when you get to heaven, Revelation chapter two, verse 17 is the scriptural reference, that when you get to heaven that God will present to you a white stone that has a name written upon it that is God's name for you, the only he and you will ever know. Isn't that gonna be an amazing day? when you get to heaven and God hands you that stone and you look at it, and I don't know what it'll be written in, probably Hebrew, I guess, and you read that and somehow I know you'll understand it and you'll know that that's how God has seen you all along even when the world was labeling you this and calling you this and marginalizing or diminishing you because of maybe some real mistakes that you made on this side of eternity. God is still in the business of renaming things, including people who are far from him. What circumstance today do you need God to rename? What, what situation, what are you up against today? That maybe there's one thing, you don't get the chance to decide everything that you go through in life, but you do get the opportunity to determine what you and God will call it. And people look and they say, that's a failure, and you say, that's the opportunity for me to learn. People look and, and, and they say, that's a disgrace, and you say, that's the opportunity, that was the opportunity in my life where I got to experience the mercy of God that I could never earn and didn't deserve. Culture of this world will try to rename some things, but God is still in the business of renaming things. Come on, aren't you grateful that God renamed you, that he calls you something different than what you once were known by? Daniel chapter one, reading on verse eight, it says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods, and God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded and said, I'm afraid of, of, of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other men who are eating the king's food and then make your decision. In light of what you see, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days and catch this. I don't, I don't know the, a, a diet of vegeta just vegetables and water sounds very good to me, but God used it, somehow worked in it. And it says, at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. And God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. 
God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when in the training period ordered by the, or when the training period rather ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and no one, was impre- no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. All right, so now turn the page, chapter three. Chapter two, if you read it, finds Daniel being used of God, speaking the heart of God, interpreting dreams for the king. And the long story short is these young men continued to be promoted to even greater positions and levels of influence and authority, even though they're slaves, even though they're captives, even though they're in a culture that is not their own. And come on, it speaks to us that even in the culture that is rejecting God, turning from God, there still can be a grace and a favor that will rest upon anyone who will choose and who will decide, who will determine to not go the way of the world, but to continue to serve God, love God, and love people in the name of God. Someone say amen. Amen. So Daniel chapter three is where we find the story that most of us grew up hearing about in Sunday school. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It says in verse one, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide. In other words, this was something substantial, seemingly insurmountable. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. All the officials came, stood before the statue, Then a herald shouted, verse four, people of all races, nations, languages, listen to the king's command. In other words, no one was to be exempt. And it said, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, pipes, other musical instruments, when the band begins to play, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. At the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation, language, bowed to the ground, worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They ratted them out. These were narcs. They went to the king and they said, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the harp, all those musical instruments. And he said, the decree states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. And there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, namely, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Well, I'm glad you asked, Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God of whom we serve is able. Someone say, he's able. He's able able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. But catch this, verse 18. But even if he does not, 
We want to make something clear to you, your majesty. Watch, they were still even respectful, even though they were, they, they were disagreeing with the, the law of the land. They were disagreeing with the direction of the culture, but I think it's powerfully important to note that they were still respectful. And it says that they, we, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage, and he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's how hot the flames had become. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Your translation might say like a son of the gods and that's because the fourth was the son of God. And it says Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The high priest, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell of smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whether their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble because why? There is no God who can rescue like this. And the last verse that we'll read is verse 30. It says, so the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions of authority in the province of Babylon. So I have a few points I wanna draw out of this passage. Number one is that they refused to consume the things that the world consumed. They refused to, say, to go at the way of the world. They refused to say, to embrace the things that the world said you had to do, that the world said you had to think, that the, world, were the places the world said you had to be if you wanted to be acceptable, approved, or successful. And I want to encourage you, I, I, I was going to preach this message last week, and I knew we were honoring graduates this week, and so I paused the message, I kind of shifted some things around because I wanted to especially encourage those, especially young people or anyone really who's stepping into a, a new season in your life. There's some things that the world is going to say that you've got to do. There's some places that the world are going to say that you have to be to become a success, to receive the promotion, and I'm telling you today that you ought to make a decision and a determination right now in your heart to have the spirit of these three young men, to have the the determination in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit to predetermine in advance before you get into those moments of decision to say when those things are, when those invitations come, when those, those opportunities arise that I know would dishonor God, that I know would be displeasing, even if they might look like in the natural, it's the pathway to provision or promotion or popularity, I am going to say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of my God. Here's the thing, when they did it God's way, it worked better. 
Remember, it said that they were 10 times more capable. Your translation might say 10 times better. And I just wanna encourage you that God's ways, God's word works, and God's ways really are better. And you gotta begin to see some things differently. This Bible is not a rule book trying to steal your fun or steal your joy or keep you from being the life of the party. This is God's invitation to live in a way that postures and positions you to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God upon your life. And I'm just telling you, you will never regret making a determination or a commitment. It might not be easy. It might be challenged. In fact, it will be because, like I say, oftentimes anywhere where there's power, potential, or promise, you better expect opposition. But I'm telling you today that if you'll make that commitment to endure the opposition to the word of God, you'll look up and you'll realize, man, life is 10 times better than it would have been had I been willing to go the way of the world. They refused to do it the way of the world. They discovered that God's ways were better than the world's ways. Number three, they were willing to stand out and to go against the flow. And can I just tell you, I understand it, I get it, the easier thing, the easier thing is just to shut up and stay quiet and just blend in and go with the flow. The easier thing for me as a pastor, as a preacher, as a leader would be to just kind of tiptoe around the cultural issues of the day. But I'm telling you that God is raising up a people who will be filled with the, the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, but will also will walk in the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit because if, they world, if we allow the world to intimidate us, to cause us to go with the flow, to shrink back, to hold back, to be hindered from speaking the truth in love like the Bible encourages us to do, the world is a lost cause because we've been entrusted with the gospel. I don't know why it had to be that way. God could have done it anyway, but he chose to partner with a people who he calls the church of Jesus Christ. You and I, we've been entrusted. We can't shrink back or hold back. The easier thing to do would be to blend in and go with the crowd. Matthew 7, 13 says, says that, that we are called to enter through the narrow gate and wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. Are you willing, young, young adults, young people, are you willing to live counterculturally? And I wanna encourage you that there might be some times where, you, where it costs you something. There might be some times where it costs you some popularity. There might be some times where it costs you some friendship. But I'm telling you that the, that the eternal reward and even the blessing on this side of eternity will far outweigh anything that choosing to stand for righteousness and for God will ever cost you. Predetermined, make a decision in advance. Maybe, maybe today I'm just helping to kind of cement something in the heart of some young people. Maybe today I'm kind of stirring something in the hearts of, of every person, young and old, who is within the sound of my voice today to just once again begin to take a stand, once again to, to, to begin to go swim against the stream, once again to begin to go against the flow, once again to begin to live in the narrow way because wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And can I encourage you with something? We were never called to be like the world. We were always called to be peculiar. We we were always called to be unique. We were always called to stand out. We were always called to be different. And you don't wanna be normal today because normal is depressed, confused, divorced, divided. Now's the time for people to take a stand. You don't wanna be normal. We, we've heard that for the last two years, you know. We, when are we gonna get back to normal or this is the new normal? I don't know that we want, I ever wanna be a part of what was normal. I don't know that I wanna go back to some of those places. Maybe now's the time in the season where because of some of the things that we've been through culturally and maybe some of the things that you've been through personally, now is the time to take a stand and say, God, in this season, from this day moving forward, would you allow me, would you, allow, would you cause me to experience a fresh grace to begin to live differently than I ever have before? They were willing to stand out to go against the flow. Four, they trusted God would show up, 
but they were committed to trust and serve him even if and when he did not. You remember what they said? They said, we don't have to give an account to you, but they said, well, we will. We know that our God is going to show up, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow to your false gods. God's calling us to be a people who will build a faith that is not dependent on all the things that God does for us, but on who he is to us. And I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. I don't understand why we suffer loss. I don't understand all those things. But I wanna encourage you that there's a principle that we see operating in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right here, and it's this. They had given themselves permission to not necessarily fully understand, but to always fully believe. And it's one of the greatest commitments that we can make. It's one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity to say, God, I don't have to understand why some things happen. I don't have to understand why I go through these things, but I decide in advance that even when I don't fully understand, I commit to fully believe. Number five, they were committed to community. They were, they were committed to community. And it says, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the fire? And they said, yes. And you know, I was reminded that the Bible says where two or three are gathered, I am in their midst. And it's what we see right here in the story. He jumped up in amazement and he said, didn't we throw three men in? I see four. And, and the fourth is like the son of, of the gods. And I'm telling you today that when many of us, uh, we need to, we must experience God through a personal relationship in Jesus Christ, a personal determination, a personal confession of faith, a personal commitment to pursue our faith. No one can do it for you. And no one can take responsibility for developing your life of faith and, and getting into God's word and, and, and getting into a life group and getting into the church and beginning to serve, beginning to give. No one can take responsibility for that but you. But after we make those personal commitments, determinations, and confessions of faith, many of the promises of God and the protections of God are experienced through community. And it's why the enemy is constantly working overtime to divide, to isolate, to introduce offense, to cause people to flee, to be scattered, to be wanderers. And I'm telling you today that there was power that they had. They individually, I think any of these three young men would have taken a stand for God, but I think there was something especially strong. The Bible says that a, that a cord of two strands is strong, but one of three strands is even stronger. And I believe that they understood that they, were, they had a brotherhood, they had friends, they had a community of faith that was willing to stand with them and for them. And I'm telling you that many people today have been isolated or scattered, and today the heart of God is still for people to exist in brotherhood and sisterhood and in community. And if you've been hurt, if you've been isolated, if you've been wounded, I'm telling you today that God is able to heal those things, and you won't find a perfect people or a perfect church or a perfect life group or a perfect pastor. God knows you won't. So just stop looking, but just find a place to be connected. Find a place to do life with other believers. Find a place and a way to experience community. Find a life group to get involved in. Man, some of the best friendships and relationships and some of the most profound and powerful things that God is doing and continuing to do in my life of faith don't happen on Sunday morning. They happen on Wednesday nights when I gather with other guys and we, we're reading a book and we're reading the Bible. We're praying together. We're being transparent with the times where we're struggling and we're encouraging each other. We're celebrating the wins. And, and so I wanna encourage you, connect to community. Where two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst. And there were three men that were thrown in the fire, but there was a fourth one who was in their midst. 
Life is gonna get tough. When, you, when life gets tough, who are you gonna stand with? Who's gonna come alongside you to, to pray with you, to declare the word of God over you, to bring courage and to bring faith with you, to share a testimony and say, you might think your marriage is over. You might think the bills won't ever get paid. You might think that the medical diagnosis means this or that or the other, but I'm here to tell you that I once experienced something similar and I turned to God and it wasn't easy. Sometimes it was hard, but when I turned to God, he saw me through and he healed our marriage and he restored my family and he restored our body and he he, he delivered us from that debt and he made provision for our lives. You need people around you who, when you're going through the storms of life, will come around you and speak the word and the heart and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ over your life, your marriage, your home, your family, your heart. They were committed to community. You're gonna go through some stuff and you need people around you. They went inbound, but they came out free. And I didn't really make it into a point, but it just stuck out, stood out to me that God can and will use the situations and circumstances that the enemy is intending to take you out to set you free. What do you mean, Pastor T? Well, I'm just telling you, I, I wish that I could always just stay hungry for more of God when things are going good and it's one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity. How much can you continue to hunger and thirst for more of God when life is going good? But, but many times in my life, I... I, I recognize that I, I tend to get, when things are going good, when things are going smooth, I tend to kind of begin to turn from some of the things that, that cause for the blessing of God to come into my life, the commitment to prayer and Bible study, the commitment to community or church. And, I, and when I'm walking in the blessing, I tend to kind of drift from those things. And, and, and these last couple years have been hard, but here's what I'm here to encourage you with is that God will allow you to go through hard times to remind you about your need for dependency upon him. And James 1, 2 through 4 just says it so boldly. And it's, it, it's like, really, God, does it have to be this way? And it says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, speaking to you and I whenever you face trials of many kinds, really? Because you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work. He's working in it. He's just not causing you to go through some things for the sake of going through some things. He, he's, he's working in your character. He's working in your commitment. He's working in our lives. And it says, let it finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus could have stepped in before they threw him in the fire, couldn't he? But he seems more times than not to be more interested in walking with us through the fire than keeping us from the fire. What are you walking through? What fire are you walking through in your life? Where's the enemy turning up the heat in your life? And I'm just telling you, in those places, that's the place to turn to God. That's the place to turn to God. That's the place to, to once again go back and begin to commit yourself to a life of prayer, to a life of devotion, to a life of community, to a life of consecration, to a life of commitment. In my own life, in the areas where I begin to experience stress or strife, which are two things that many of us deal with, I can almost always associate those seasons of increased stress and strife with the drifting in my own personal prayer, worship, or Bible study life. Fear and anxiety almost always associated with the drifting from time reading and meditating on God's word over your heart and over your life. And, and I just sense that God was calling us, that one of the things he wants to do through this message is call you and me 
you and I back to uh, that place of sincere devotion, that place of opening up the Bible, that place of hitting our knees at the beginning of our day, that place of hitting our knees at the end of, of, of our day, thanking God for his faithfulness, that place of dependency on the Holy Spirit. Because yes, we need to be a bold public declaration. We need to see a people and a church that rises up and boldly begins to declare the truth and the love and the goodness and the mercy of God. But before we could do that publicly, that kind of faith and that kind of boldness is cemented in our lives privately. In those quiet times where it's just you and God, where you wouldn't have to do it, where no, there, will, there will be no religious accolades, there will be no applause, there will be no one clapping or, or, or cheering you on, but you'll be gaining the strength and the grace of God to live and be and do what God has called you, the way that God has called you to live, who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do. Number six, they made it through what was intended to cancel them. Isn't it amazing? It says that they went through that fire and they didn't even smell like smoke. And I just read that and I thought, man, God is so good. Because most of us have been through some trials, some tribulations, some troubles, some mistakes, some missteps, some misdeeds, but God still has a way of bringing you out of those things. And here's what I believe it speaks to us, is that today, if you've made some of those things, mistakes, misdeeds, missteps, sins, errors, and judgment, uh, uh, miscalculations in life, you, you've, you've done some things, you really did some things. We all have, none of us have escaped. And, and, but here's what I wanna encourage you with, is that you do not have to carry the evidence of that season with you. That's what it says right there. They had been through the fire. They came out and they went, began to walk forward not even smelling like the season they had just been in. How many of us, my man, myself included, because of the depth of the, the hurt or the pain or because of the depth of the rejection or because of the depth of, of the lie of the enemy, we, we tend to be convinced that, yeah, God saw us through that thing but we still have to kind of carry some of that with us. There's still a sentence that we have to serve. There's still kind of a, a, a ball and a chain that we ought to carry around just as a reminder of where we once were. I'm telling you today that the Bible is so clear. He desires to make you a total new creation. He desires to remove those sins and missteps and misdeeds as far as the East is from the West. They came out of the fire and they didn't even smell like smoke. God wants to remove all the evidence of the previous season that you walked through because of he wants to wash over you with his water with his blood, would you allow him today to do it? I'm allowing him to do it in my life in a new way, in a fresh way. Last point, we'll close right here. They made a difference by being willing to be different. It wasn't just that God saved and preserved them, but people were watching. And I'm telling you that the way that we live in our marriages, our families, our workplaces, our churches, our communities, our schools, it matters. There's, there's, there's people that are watching and you might think that your life is inconsequential or insignificant to the purposes and the plans and, and the future that God has, but I'm telling you that he has assigned you, he has, he has authorized you, he has appointed you, he has anointed you, and he has distributed you into just the right place, just the right season, just the right time. He knows where he needs his people to be to serve as the salt and the light in a world who desperately needs Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar said, he saw what God had done and he said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has sent his angel and his servants who trusted in him. And he made that decree and he said, no one shall speak poorly of their God and anyone who does is gonna deal with me now. They made a difference by being willing to be different. Would you stand to your feet and just as you're standing, would you just ask God, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you reminding me of? What are you revealing in my heart today? What are you trying to heal in my heart today? 
What, what, where's the place in my life that you're trying to shift me out of maybe some old patterns, some old ways, some old habits, some old thoughts? What, what is it that you're inviting me to that maybe I have lost sight of? Just, those are just a few of the things that God could be doing, maybe something unique for you, but I trust that God cares about it even more than your pastor cares about it. If there's something else he wants to do, remind you of or reveal in you or heal in you, just right now, would you allow him to just speak that thing into your heart? Would you just take a moment before we rush out and get about our day to just be still and to know that he is God and just be still and present whatever that thing is in your life, whatever you're up against, whatever you're going through, whatever you've just come out of that maybe is trying to chase you down and track you down and label you or rename you or saddle you with guilt or condemnation, whatever it is today, just, just allow the Lord to, to reach into your life. And he's got a good plan. He's got a new name for you. He's got a new name for you. He's got a new season for you. Today, some of you maybe who are, are carrying, and, and this is something that the Lord's really helping me with today, that maybe you're, you're, you're carrying kind of the evidence of the old season that you walked through, that maybe really was, the enemy really did turn up the heat on you. That today, that the Lord wants to come and just say, no longer do I want you to smell like the smoke of, your, of the previous season. No longer do I want you to carry the evidence of the previous season. You might've really been through it. You might've really done it. You might've really said it, but today I wanna to come, I wanna wash you. I wanna redeem you. I wanna restore you to a place where that you no longer have to carry the evidence of a previous season. And that's, that's a good word. That's a good word. That's a life-changing word for someone today. That's, that's, a, that's an opportunity for a new season, a new perspective, a new outlook on life. That's the opportunity for there to be just some spiritual refreshing come to your heart and your home, your marriage, your family. Man, would you grab a hold of that if that's speaking to you today? And Lord, we just thank you that you, in this series, Lord, you're inviting us to greater levels of dependency on you so that we can walk in boldness, compassion, but also courage and conviction. And Lord, thank you that you would even show us, Lord, the places where the, the culture has begun to influence us. And if you recognize today that there's a place in your life, in your finances, in your marriage, in your heart, in your family, where, where you've bowed down to what the world has said or offered to you, today is just the opportunity to get right with God and say, God, in that place where I've trusted in my own strength, where I've trusted in that system of the world, world where I put my faith and my trust in that person or that source of provision, Lord, today, I just repent. I, I repent. I, I say I'm sorry. I say I see it differently now. I say, I, I say I'm coming back to you. I say I'm putting in a new or a fresh way my hope, my trust, my faith in you in that area of my life. Would you just take a moment and do that if that's you? And Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Lastly, just stay in that posture of maybe hearing or receiving or responding to God. And I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here in this room or joining us online and you're far from God to come home to him. Maybe you once knew God, maybe you were raised in the church, maybe you heard this story growing up as a kid, but life has happened, busyness has happened, you've kind of just drifted from God or made some bad decisions, gone your own way. That's what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. And if that's you today, the same thing is true for you as what was true in the parable that Jesus told in the Bible. The Father is not rejecting you, he's longing for you to wake up and to look up and to come home to him. And when you do, he doesn't punish you or hold you at arm's length. He'll help you get some things straightened out eventually. But he's, he's, his arms are open wide to you. He's, he's longing for you to come back into relationship with him.
He's a good father. He loves you. He's been with you all along. He's seen what you've been going through. And now he just says, would you come home to me? I knew it was gonna go that way for you when you decided to run from me. Would you just come home to me? Maybe that's you today, or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and said yes to the free gift. It's an amazing free gift of salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. So if that's you, you're in either one of those camps, you've drifted from God or you've never made Jesus Lord of your life or anywhere in between, this is your moment right now to say yes to Jesus, to come home to God, to be made part of the spiritual family, the body of Christ, to be washed clean, to be made new, to be made whole, to be forgiven, to be uh, renewed and restored to a new life. The Bible says a new creation, to be born again, to experience a new and fresh life in Christ. If that's you, don't, don't wait. Don't raise your hand high towards heaven. Say, that's me. I need to come home to God. That's me. I need to come home to my father's house. That's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. That's me. I've been weighed down by sin and by the things of this world, by the things of this culture. I, I, I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. Man, many, right, right, right now, uh, online, you might even be by yourself. I think it's powerfully important for you to just take a moment and just raise your hand, say yes to God. If you raise your hand, you could lower. Many amazing people said yes to God today, came home to Christ. And here's what we're gonna do. If you raise your hand, we're gonna pray this prayer, but we're not just gonna ask you to pray it. We're gonna pray it with you. We're gonna pray it with you. We're gonna pray it with you because we wanna begin to walk with you. We want you to know there's a family that wants to do life with you that wants to welcome you and help you to begin to discover all the things that God has created you for and, and, is, and is now saving you to begin to connect to and begin to experience. And we pray it for a second reason because it just reminds us every week that even as we're growing as disciples, maturing in our faith, everything God could ever do or build in our life of faith is all built on the foundation of unmerited grace. So come on, there were some amazing people that came home to Christ today. Let's pray this prayer with them. Come on, pray it with maybe a fresh sense of urgency and boldness. Say, Father, in Jesus' name. I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price that I couldn't pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it boldly. I will never be the same. And then put your hands together with all of heaven. Man, God is so good, he's so faithful. All right, let's worship God. Come on, let's praise Him one more time together and then we'll come and dismiss you, get you about your day.